myself prepared for wizardly combat. I want to show you a trick mother showed me when you weren't around. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. Hi everybody, it's Judge Joe. I got a copy of the Once New with Goodman Game Seminar uh, video from friend of the show, Dave Beatty. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and post the audio from that video to get the information out to everybody. Uh, Look for an official Goodman Games video to come out uh, sometime soon, I think. Alright, here you go. This is Joe Goodman. Now, I'm going to introduce what happened is I did this banner for for the booth, and I brought nothing here to represent it, not the drawings or the original paintings, and there's no dry erase board, and I didn't bring spray paint, so I can't show you up on the wall or anything. But what I'm going to do, as I introduce these guys, I'm going to represent what I drew through their faces, because there actually is, let's see, one, two, Okay, you guys are going to be together in the middle. <laughs> Did everybody see the banner in the Goodman Games booth? It's coming. So it's like lots of demon heads, right? So on on the right, or this is left. This is left, right? Yes. Right. Let's agree on this. Our left. On the far left. Here, this position. Uh, who said that? This is this is a um, like a uh, like a, a demon woman face with flames coming out of the head. Um, so do that. <laughs> and, and this is also Joel Bateman. He wrote uh, uh, One Who Watches From Below, various other things. Book Carol's Gambit. Uh, he's the winner of the contest, the uh, Mystery <clears throat> contest, and he. He's not an all-around good guy, but he's okay. <laughs> this, this is Mike Curtis, and he's represented on the banner by um, a big demon woman face with a, a tongue, with a, a centipede wizard coming out of his tongue. Right? And he's totally badass and it's, it's satanic, right? So do that. Okay. So, uh, so Mark Curtis in real life, he, he wrote all kinds of stuff. He wrote all kinds of stuff. Uh, the first thing he wrote was uh, Miracle was framed. Um, uh, and most recently he wrote which uh, one of the chain coffin Lankbar expansion? Lankbar. He's worked, he just finished Lankbar, um, uh, which is this game. Uh, <laughs> this thing we did based on these books that, you know, if you haven't read them, you just... Get out. That's your fault. So, and then, you know, he's, he's tall. Uh, what, he, he's from... He's from Long Island. Long Island. He looks like Frankenstein. <laughs> uh, that's it. Now, now, these two are together, represented by the giant demon face uh, with a, like a weird-ass centipede larva wizard on his tongue. 
and he's, he's gonna get you, right? So um, they got big horns. So you hold out your arm like this. That's the big horn on one side. That's one. And now both you guys open your mouths and close one eye each. <laughs> See, that's what that demon looks like. Okay, so this is Joe Goodman. Everybody knows what he does. He, he does the... He, he claims uh, uh, all, the, all the accolades for all the hard work done by everyone else. It's, it's called, called a publisher. And he signs the checks, so. Uh, okay, so, um, this is, who are you, uh, this is Wampler, he, he did, uh, he did a mutant game based on another game that was based on another game, um, and, and that game, uh, so, so like everything's based on something else, but he had this great idea to add mutants in, in, in with Crawl Classics. So now we can move along to Brendan. Brendan is most well known for uh, X Crawl, right? Or he's, he's, he convinced Joe to publish X Crawl a long time ago, which is uh, custom fitted for um, Dungeon Crawl Classics, a game that hadn't been made yet. So unfortunately, it's been. Uh, Math Finder for a while, but now it's going to be DCC, right? Last Math Finder. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, wait, I think we got to do your face. So you're 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 a, a satanic uh, woman with a you got like a bee? Oh, no, 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 a spider. Like a spider with a normal human face, like a girl's face. It's really uh, this is the weirdest thing. No, no, you're the you two are the big one. Okay. Um, so get this straight. Um, so, yeah, he, he's got like a, a spider with a girl's face on, on, coming off his tongue, and he's all satanic. There's like a, there's some symbols here that, that represent uh, spirituality and witchcraft, and um, there, he's got it. That's totally it. He modeled for it. You guys can come see it. Um, and then finally... <laughs> we got this guy, and he, he's, he's working on Punjar 0000, <laughs> the original Punjar, that, that, well, he's done various, you can get it in his chapbook, he's written about uh, uh, various Punjar things, so you should get his chapbook. Mike's got one too, and he writes about uh, other stuff. Chain Coffin. Right? Yes, that's right. Uh, Shutter Mountains. So um, <laughs> you are represented by the far side. You're you're the uh, mm. the head with the flames. Right. Uh, orange. Yes, oh, what? Well, it is an orange head, and it is a demon head. And his, his eyes are X's, and he's got green flames coming out of the top of his head, right? And uh, it's that's it right there. Mm -hmm. So um, I tell you one or two things Harley's done. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then I'll be done with the introduction. Is this good? This is good, Doug. Okay, so Harley, um, <laughs> well, uh, he came up with an idea of, of Punjar, right? Which is a total ripoff of Lankmar, which is what what Mike's writing. Um, but when he gets done, it'll be better than Fritz Lieber, right? Lieber, whatever. 
Um, <laughs> he played the Purple Planet, which was a ripoff of Edgar Rice Burroughs. What other ripoffs uh, did you do? Oh, well, Journey to the Center Earth. Journey to the Center Earth was a ripoff of like a movie what from the 60s? No, right? no, no. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, yeah. Well, the elephants are from Howard, right? Yes, yes. Right. Howard. Uh, okay. But you did elephant. Those. Okay. What? <laughs> I did them. You painted. Did you do the original elephant? It was it, elephants were his idea. Oh, okay. Yeah. Elephants, guys. Well, genius. So, also Harley, right? He he broke his arm skateboarding within the last five years. Yeah. Uh, and this is an old man here, so <laughs> that's bound to happen, right? And then uh, one time he punched me in the leg real hard, yeah. and it hurt. Yeah. And um, <laughs> one time I gave you a black eye. You did? Yeah. He gave me a black eye. One time um, Doug tore my shirt off. Ooh, true, true story. Wow. Yeah. Oh, shit. He doesn't remember. Uh, uh, yeah. Wasn't <laughs> that that great? <laughs> no, nobody. Listen, it's the first year. Okay. So there anyway, what's the best thing you did, Harley, to end it? Best thing I did was make friends with Doug Kovacs. He made yeah. friends with him. Officially now. Thank you, yeah, Everyone's been introduced. Thank you, Doug. We're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome to the What's New with Goodman Games seminar. That was lead artist Doug Kovacs, who forgot to bring any art. So we gave him an overview at the beginning. I'm the publisher, and I forgot to bring the easels that have the other art. So you get to look at us the whole time. We're gonna to try to keep this to an hour or less because we all have some gaming to do. We're gonna talk about some things that we're working on, some new releases, some things we haven't talked about yet. Um, and I guess that's about it. So let me cover some uh, brief business matters first. Um, hopefully you gave your ticket to Dieter when you walked in. If you didn't, at the end, please come up and give us your ticket on the table. Or give it to Dieter now if you're already in the back sitting next to him. Um, come by the booth and please sign the big birthday cards. Metamorphosis Alpha is 40 years old as of this Gen Con. And uh, Judges Guild is 40 years old as of this Gen Con. So we have giant birthday cards at the booth that we're going to give to James M. Ward and to Bob Bledsoe Jr. Please come sign them if you haven't already. Um, don't forget that we have a contest to write an adventure module. You hopefully have heard about this, but in cooperation with Gamehole Con, we're sponsoring contests to take Doug's amazing art from the DCC Judges screen and write an adventure somehow inspired by or linked to that art. Um, and you can find more information on our website or come by the booth and have a little flyer on it. You don't have to go to Gamehole Con to, to enter or to win, um, but of course they will announce the winner there later this year. So the, the deadline's coming up in about a month, so make sure you take a look at that if you're interested. What do you get if you win? Oh, good, good, good question. Uh, we will publish the winning adventure module. So many of you know, I guess three or four years ago we held the, the mystery map uh, contest, um, and Job actually won that and wrote an amazing adventure called One Who Watches From Below. Um, and this is our next sort of open process to find somebody else who will write a really cool adventure module and hopefully work with us in the future. You get mocked by Doug. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you get mocked by Doug. <laughs> you don't have to win any contest for that. <laughs> uh, and then don't forget if you if you um, got a raffle ticket or at the end of this come by and get another raffle ticket. We'll have a raffle Sunday at 1 o'clock at the booth. We're going to award the ceremonies first for the various tournaments going on, um, trophies and that big belt and all that kind of stuff. And then after that, we're going to have a raffle for some original art and other cool stuff. So now let me talk, uh, actually let these guys talk briefly. We're going to talk about some stuff we're working on. Um, if you picked up the program guide this year, there's a, an awesome interview with Errol Otis. I think it's actually the biggest interview anybody ever conducted with him. He's got about 30 pages of, uh, of his art, um, including a lot of his 
obviously stuff from the TSR era and Goodman Games era, but some of his private work, some of his abstract art. Um, he has some drawings from when he was a kid, and a lot of the stuff he did for the computer game industry. But also in there is a piece of art he did as a cover image. Um, and then Michael Curtis here has the opportunity to take that cover image and write an adventure around it. So hopefully you guys have seen that art. If you haven't, you can imagine it. Um, <laughs> or maybe you'll look at it at the booth. But Mike, tell us about what you're working on in relation to this. Yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a fabulous opportunity <coughs> because, I mean, I remember <coughs> the day I'd be sitting eating my Captain Crunch and looking at the copy of my BX, you know, uh, my basic D&D module with Errol's classic illustration on there. So Errol has been, you know, part of my role-playing experience from since, you know, 1981. And uh, luckily, he also did the cover of the Dungeon Alphabet. So you know, he and I have been—he's been part of my my experience since the very beginning. So uh, the, the, the piece has to be seen to believe. It's—it's one it's of we actually we thought about doing a a contest and just capturing this photo because there's three adventurers over there having this discussion, and in the background there's just this massive wall with kind of like these asymmetrical holes in it. There's just this claw that's reaching through it, and there's kind of, you know, weird-looking creatures addressing this thing, and it looks kind of like a grub wearing a crown on top of a pedestal, and there's like a like an eldritch gazebo in the background or something like that. So it's, uh, it's really the, the, the opportunity to do anything with this is absolutely amazing because this is something that, uh, given my own, you know, my, oh, my own creativity, this is something that I would not come up with. So the using, we had a big discussion about how the, how art influences. So I mean, I've just spent the last couple of months. Is this I guess we kind of released this just around GaryCon, just kind of looking at this and trying to trying to parse Errol's Otis into my own head. And I've really got this. I mean, if you really look at this, it, it, you you get there's a very Lovecraftian. Um, feel of At the Mountains of Madness. I mean, it almost looks like, like some sort of elder thing, something that, you know, predates any sort of civilization whatsoever. Like, you know, how did, how did, you know, how did the world spawn from this thing, and why is it chained up, and what is this thing with the crown? Like, you know, I think in the interview, Errol talks about, like, the thing with the crown might be a sacrifice, but I'm taking this entirely different thing. Like, the little grub thing is actually in charge of the whole process of what's going on. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's uh, the the setting kind of leads us into this, this nether world, and, and the the nether world itself is kind of difficult to determine whether this is actually a physical realm or is a spiritual. Realm. Because the other thing that I've been getting, the other feel I get of this is this is something very uh, for, like a Freudian id thing. Like this is some sort of you know a sort of collective gestalt of like a thousand rulers' nightmares come to come to to life in this kind of nebulous region, and the our heroes are kind of forced to confront this and deal with it in some manner, uh, whether it be you know, through violence or through a deconstruction and reconstruction of reality, or whether it just appease the larva thing with the crown on, maybe perhaps that has. Or and then of course there is the secret of the big, the secret of the big eldritch gazebo. So I think I'm just trying very hard to make the writing equal to the the, the actually the, the eerie eldritch wonder that uh, Errol's piece is. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. And then you're also working on the Halloween module this year. Yes, I'm doing a Halloween module this year. And it got very, it started off very easy. Um, I, I started thinking about something like the classic uh, ideas of things that, that terrify us. And, you know, I didn't want to do anything because I, I did the Christmas module, which very much goes back to the roots of, of Yule and all the rest of that. So this, in this way, I kind of wanted to go back to those childhood fears that kind of affect all of us. And it began with this idea of the monster in the closet. And the idea of that, you know, you know, in, in theory, you know, once we get to that adulthood, we're, you know, we're, we're beyond that. And so, if you're a powerful, I'm, I'm, I'm penning it for a six-level adventure. So, you know, at six-level dungeon DCC, you're pretty, you know, you're pretty hardcore. You know, you're, you're like a twelfth-level, you know, uh, you know, uh, D and D character at that point. So, why not make something that is just so terrifying that can get into a place where you consider safe 
you know, whether it's a, you know, it's in or your own home or something like that, something kind of reaches out and strikes you from there, and then kind of lures you into um, this uh, the abode of something that you know existed once and has kind of been thrown away and is now it is in the cyclical pattern coming back, and uh, it's a, it's. A, it's about tatters and tatters reforming and what have you. So um, I got some great imagery in there. At least I think. I hope you guys all enjoy it once it's all said and done. So cool. And then I'm going to talk to um, Harley. Tell me about you're working on music, or you've been working on music of the spheres. Yes. Um, we showed these guys one or two seminars ago. Right. The, the crazy like dials yeah. and spinny parts. I think it was, I think it was last year we had the the, the, the big stand up board. Um, and we didn't know what the adventure was going to be about at the time, but there was there was one one central sphere. Uh, with four um, spheres set to either side of that central sphere, and that was the map. And you could rotate the center one, but you could also rotate the outer spheres to create all these permutations on the map. But we didn't have a good idea what the adventure was going to be about. And then for Christmas, Joseph Goodman sent me this this massive tome of like early Victorian magic, um, half of which was in French. <laughs> but it's good, because I'm a visual guy, so I was able to flip through this thing, and it got me, it sent me down this whole, you know, like, like looking into like old like Christian mysticism, and alchemy, and that sort of thing, and so, um, and that really brought the story together, so there's this, there's this alembic, which is um, being used to transform the universe, and as the adventures, you know, they, as they adventure through the dungeon, they're able to rotate the spheres, the title being the music of the spheres, and it, and it transforms the dungeon um, to the benefit or to the to the woe of the of the, of the player characters, and the idea being that it's a puzzle that the, the players can figure out. You know, if I can manipulate the universe, how can I make this better for my PCs? The problem being, there's only just a limited number of times that you can rotate the sphere before bad things happen. So, it's it's very ambitious. It's like it's probably the most complex map we've ever done. Um, I think like about maybe. Ten years ago, Mike Merles did a. Um, Cook. Cook. Sorry. Yeah. Did did um, did like uh, a spinny dungeon with like concentric circles, and then Mike Curtis did um, a, a spinny puzzle, and always trying to one up Mike Curtis just by one. This is a spinny dungeon puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> with five spinners. Right. But uh, you know, there's, there's just this opportunity to um, to really take you know what we do for map making just a little bit further, um, and and take a take a really cool idea. You know, give it a really cool story, and hopefully make a, an adventure that you guys find enjoyable. Awesome! That sounds great. Thank you. Do oh. the printers answer the phone when you call with what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, so then, um, Brendan, you're, 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 uh, you want to talk in Moon? Why yes? <laughs> but I'm gonna have Harley do it for me. Okay. Tell us about X Crawl Classics. Okay, so. <laughs> okay, so. Games. He's kind of worse. <laughs> Uh, so after uh, years of resisting, after years of resisting, I have realized the error of my ways of thinking. I have realized the errors of my way of thinking, and I'm going to go full DCC. I'm going full X crawl, my baby, the love of my life that I've devoted the last 20 years towards. Sure, it's <laughs> going full DCC. Why is that? It's the right thing to do. Yes. <laughs> but why is that? Um, it's you know what? It's going to be a, a really excellent marriage of system and uh, and setting, um, and I think that uh, the wild and whimsical nature and a chaotic uh, nature of DC is going to go very along very well with um, with the uh, the extra flavor. So it's going to be awesome. good. 
Can I talk a little bit on your behalf? All means. <laughs> so you guys have probably played X-Brawl, or maybe some of you have. It's an awesome game where it's basically like a dungeon crawling on TV. WWF meets sort of um, pay-per-view TV, meets dungeon crawling game show, and you can win prizes, get sponsorships, or die in the process. And built into the whole concept here is a, a class system where you have um, Emperor Ronald Reagan, <laughs> who's the emperor of this world, and a very controlling system of the upper class and then um, what I'll call the masses who are struggling to escape, and X-Crawl is the sort of path to, if you become rich and famous, you can get out of that. So his world conception always included this very structured, controlled world of magic, where, where magic was sort of um, just controlled and, and... Statecraft. Yeah, statecraft. And so DC has wild, DCC is wild and crazy magic, completely unpredictable, <laughs> and conceptually it's hard to fit it into the world of um, the way X-Crawl controls magic. So uh, X-Crawl started in D&D 3rd edition, went to Pathfinder as DCC was being developed, just the timing didn't work out right for a DCC and the X-Crawl version of it to come out at the same time. But Brendan's been thinking this over for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, about how to fit the, the background of X-Crawl into the sort of DCC wildness of magic. And originally had a different idea like a year ago and has now sort of thought it over long enough to have finally figured out like the sort of perfect mesh. So we finally in a good place where having released now I think three DCC adaptations of X-Crawl, we can finally give you the rules to actually play those, uh, which he's working on. It'll be X-Crawl Classics, probably coming out next year sometime. Cool. He's run two DCC X crawls right here at Gen Con. He's had an awesome time. If anybody was in the room, you know, please share your experiences. You know, those play tests, that information is really important. Anything else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, I was going to mention one thing just to clarify. So you've heard us talk about the DCC annual. Um, for four years now. <laughs> and if you go by the booth and look at the section, you'll see the cover art for the annual. It's actually been done for, I don't know, six or nine months now. Um, anyway, one of these years, we're going to get around to releasing the annual. The content's all done. The, actually, most of the art is done. It, it's mostly edited. Uh, it's not to be confused with the program guide. The program guide has sort of become actually a really cool thing we do every year at Gen Con. It's like the variety show, all the stuff we've been working on. But the annual actually will come out probably around the end of this year or early next year, and maybe we'll start calling it the quadrennial, or whatever the word for that is. But. The most awesome DCC supplement ever, volume one. There you go, volume one. <laughs> but it is coming out, it is separate, and check out the art. Doug's got it at his booth, it's hand-lettered, and it's awesome. Um, so next I wanted to talk to Mr. Wampler, AKA Jim Wampler. Um, so I heard you did a Kickstarter for Mutant Call Classics. How's it feel? <laughs> now, something like 2,600 gamers, I think, signed up to play your game, which is pretty cool. How's it feel? Uh, oh, I'm overwhelmed. Uh, I obviously I wrote this. I think I created something cool that people yeah. would like. But you know, and you plan, and we can plan the Kickstarter forever. But that uh, did somehow didn't prepare me for the reality of the reaction that all the backers have to everyone who backed it. Uh, my undying gratitude. I'm 55 years old, and there's an 18-year-old version of me that's just hopping up and down because his dreams finally came true after all these years. Um, Doug correctly pointed out it's. In some sense, it's, it's a no-brainer and uh, derivative, but I have worked really hard to bring some originality to it because uh, of my experience when I first encountered Dungeon Crawl Classics, there are two, two of the three people in the room ultimately responsible for Mutant Crawl Classics are, uh, well, James Ward, who's not here, because Gamma World was my favorite RPG after D&D, and uh, obviously Joseph, because he's publishing it, and uh, Rick Hall because uh, Rick is the guy who introduced me to DCC when I was thinking about getting back into gaming and wasn't sure what system I want to play and I'm looking at Castle's Crusades 
and uh, Rick was running a play test for Joseph. Uh, I think the first one I was in was the Sea Queen Escapes. And uh, my, my personal experience with Dungeon Crawl Classics was exactly like it was 1979, and I found first edition AD&D. It's like your first girlfriend. You never think you're going to love that way, love anybody that way again. Gamma Roll Smoke, my second girlfriend, so I got, I got them both back. Because I found it got so wound up about it, I wanted to evangelize it and promote it in our local store. And then I went, when I, when I understood the rule system, I saw the opportunity to give that uh, Gamma World S uh, post-apocalyptic uh, game. It's, it's due that somehow I don't think it ever really got what it deserved in the day. Um, I, I say this, and even Jim Ward just doesn't necessarily agree with this. I think if Gamma World had gotten three hardback books and consistent editions and volumes, everybody would think it was the second greatest RPG because it is structured so similarly to D&D. There's no other science fiction RPG that's that close to D&D because its job was just to be science fiction D&D. So Doug's kind of right. All I did was make science fiction Dungeon Crawl Classics. But you did it in a way that's fun, right? There's lots of games out there that are... It's, it's amazing how many games out there just aren't that much fun to play, even though they might read well or they have nice rules or they feel balanced. People love playing MCC. I mean, you've been running it for three years, and there's just people who talk about how much fun they had. It's, it's an important point because some of the, uh, I, if I may editorialize, um, some of the uh, other post-apocalyptic games that have come down through the years are very dark, very gritty. The, the, you never see the sky through the clouds. Everybody's in gas masks and, you know, spikes and nanobots and... I think that's a great uh, game system for a change of pace cases, game system. When you're tired of you know, delving in the dungeons, take a break and run that and have fun with it. But I don't think any of them have been campaign worthy and I saw a chance to do something where it's not only campaign worthy in its own sense, but it's structured so it, you can genre mash as much or as little as you please between the two systems. And I'm, I'm kind of proud of that part. So you're ready for a lot of hard work? Yes. Now we have to make the game. Or at least, well, the game's made, we have to lay it out, get all the art done, and present it to everybody. Well, I mean, it, print it and ship it and all that stuff. If you want some behind-the-curtains stuff, the, the book was already mostly laid out, and now I've got to go back and tear it all up, because the, the response to the uh, Kickstarter, we're going to add in a bunch of new content. So, 75 mutations, not enough. Three full patron write-ups, not enough. There's going to be more. And uh, the best news I got was that I don't have to write it all, that some of the gentlemen sitting here next to me, who I personally consider uh, more gifted writers than myself, are going to participate in that process, and that just thrills me to death. It'll be fun for everybody. Cool. Well, Jim, but, but most importantly, thank you all for backing it. Seriously, thanks everybody. It was an awesome Kickstarter. It's going to be a great game. We put a release date of August to next year to give us plenty of room to just get it all right and make sure it's completely done. and include all the stretch goals and so on, but we really want to beat that date. Um, so next time you see Jim, tell him he's not working hard enough. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's working really hard, and we'll do it. We'll make a good faith effort to get it to you sooner than August if we can. Cool, thanks. So then Mike just turned over a manuscript for something we announced, I guess, about two years ago. Um, DCC Lankmar, which we've been working on for a long time. Yep. How does it feel to have that completely... It feels, it feels good until the stretch goals start coming in and then <laughs> yeah no uh, I mean it was it was a fantastic opportunity to work on it I mean uh, we had in really panics and seminar we were talking about influences and, and library completely changed the way that I look at fantasy role playing and, and uh, it was such a, a 
sort of milestone in my own development of you know how to create and how to look at uh, fantasy settings. So the idea of being able to play in Liber's you know, universe was both uh, it was both it was wonderful, it was frightening, um, it was exhilarating, it was uh, you know it, it, when it all came down to it, it was uh, I wrote this for the DCC fans who are Liber fans, and you know they, I realized that I that you know you can never appease you never appease anybody. So uh, what I did is I figured that if, if I'm going to appease anybody, I'm going to appease you people. I mean, so this is this is this is for us, okay? So you know, I mean, because we're the fourth person, we're the fourth company in the history of role playing to take a stab at the uh, at Liber, and uh, we're, we're we're dedicated to get it right for DCC fans. So um, you know, we uh, we don't expect I don't expect you know MCC numbers when we, when it finally comes around to rolling because you know we're we're shooting for a, uh, a you know a. a where Jim is going for the entire post-apocalyptic genre, I'm going for the fans of Liber, you know, who still play D&D, yeah, play DCC. Um, so, but uh, I think that even if you don't set your games in Nihon, which I don't expect you to do, I think that once you get a hand, once you get a look at the box set, you're going to find a lot of neat new toys that you can bring over to your DCC campaign. And uh, and it's uh, it's been a fantastic experience, but I'm glad we're going to into editorial uh, red penning in, in a couple of weeks and uh, then, uh, then we'll see when in uh, I guess after everybody's wallets recharge a little bit from MCC we'll, we'll figure out what, to, what we're going to kickstart it. So. so you guys probably know, I mean you probably heard me signed a license with the, with the estate of Fritz Weiber to, to publish DCC Linkmark. Then Mike read every single Factor and Grey Mouser story. Then Mike read them all again. Mm -hmm. And he read most of them again, so we're calling it 2.5 times and he read them all. Yeah, because I was working on the Lankmar City book for the last part, so I read all yeah. the, Lankmar set, the Lankmar City set adventures, so I say 2.5 times. So. And tell us about how you went about adapting. You know, that literature is part of D&D anyway. Like, you were talking yesterday about how Iber basically influenced Gygax to create the Thief class. Right. But how did you incorporate actually, it? Actually, it didn't influence Gygax. It influenced somebody else who actually created a Thief's class. Tell that story, and then tell us how you took Iber into DCC, and what you know, the rules you adapted, and the thing. Well, 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 okay, well, the, the whole story is that, or when, well, if you want to go the whole, where Thieves come from, all right, okay. When D&D first came out, some of you may remember, originally in the little wood grain, and then later the white, the white box edition, there, the only human thieves, the only human characters were clerics, wizards, and warriors. There weren't any thieves. These didn't show up until the first uh, supplement, Greyhawk. But they were actually developed by a. It appeared in like a war game, like not like a like like a, like a war gaming zine, basically. Um, somebody had created a thieves class inspired by uh, the Grey Mouser. I mean, that's where the there's a in Lords of Cromwell. There's a great scene where. Um, uh, uh, master has a scroll, and he reads the spell off the scroll, and everything goes wrong. He kills the wrong people. Um, that's where. That's why thieves in A, B, and D, and all the rest of the other shit have that use scroll. There's a percent. Once they hit a certain level, they can use magical scrolls. You know that comes directly from library. Um, so the uh, so we uh, we brought. I mean that that was already kind of part of the ingredient. I mean that's set in there in the DCC core rules because we again we were going back to. Um, the great thing about adapting Langmore to DCC is half the hard work was already done for me because we specifically designed a game to recreate that type of appendix and sword and sorcery. So it was just a matter of tweaking things. So um, we had a lot of discussions uh, about how luck works in DCC and how we want to apply it in, in Langmore. We really wanted something really gritty, but we wanted to have uh, a lot, we wanted luck flowing fast and furious. So we have a new mechanic that will allow you to actually gain luck at the table by doing cool stuff, by you know, rolling exceptional scores, but there's also a mechanic that at any moment, 
bang, that luck can go away. So rather than bank it up for that, well, we got all this luck, we're gonna bank it up for the big fight at the end. It's like, no, we encourage you to spend that luck to do crazy stuff to do, you know, to you know, get into a bar fight with a flaming keg of you know, brandy and throw that at the mingle, you know, warriors who, who upset you, uh, rather than to, uh, you know, to, to, to bank it away and hope to use it for a rainy day. Um, so we, we have an element that uh, we've, we've kind of, if you want to play a pure uh, Fritz Library style campaign, we have rules for how to do it without clerics. Because uh, clerics can be kind of a kind of tricky situation. So how do how do we how do we handle healing in the game without having you know healing surges or you know everybody has healing potions. So. Um, There's also roles for integrating into this very conceptually normal DCC. Yes, yes. But the, our design goal from the very beginning was is that DCC Lankmar had to work on three levels. It had to work um, for if you had, like I said, if you had no interest in using DCC Lankmar as a setting uh, uh, for your campaigns, you still had to have stuff. You, you know, uh, new spells, new patrons, new monsters. Uh, these, you know, new like this new luck mechanic we're talking about and all the rest of that. Um, uh, <laughs> so. Um, so they had to work on one level. It also had to work like if you just want to, if you want to use uh, Library's World as a setting for DCC, well, you can use it. You just you know you take out your core book, put it down, and, uh, and you, you can have elves and dwarves and all the rest of this stuff. If that's what you want. <laughs> every year, every year, every year. <laughs> yeah, no more dancers. <laughs> the seven R is cursed, is what yeah. this is. Uh, and lastly, you can use it as a kind of describing what we call the literary campaign, which is kind of designed to mimic uh, library stories. So, if you want that kind of gritty, you know, street level type of adventuring set in a vast metropolis, you can use the rules to do that as well. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Mike's done with the biggest part, which was spending about two years. Yep. Um, Reading, designing, and playing, and then writing the, the, all the words that will bring library to you. I, two, two composition notebooks that I went through, just reading stories, just writing down notes from every single story. We put together uh, an Excel spreadsheet, which I think has almost a thousand entries on it. Like every important play, everything from like a, a, if a street gets named in Lankmar, okay, put that down so we remember to reference that at some point, to, you know, weird gods, to oaths, like, oh, by the great behemoth, you know. <laughs> so uh, we, we put a lot of hard work into this. And we're going to get through the editing process. We try to get it about 90% done before we show you guys the Kickstarter. Um, so once it's, it's obviously written, once it's completely edited, then we'll come back to you guys and set up the Kickstarter. And then the goal, I mean, there's an enormous amount of material here. It's, it's enormous. So it can go from being, we'll see where we end up. But yeah. Well, we, what the, the initial design goal is what we want to do is, is with the box set, you can kick off a campaign in day one. So we focused on Lankmar, which is the most famous part, the most well-known and everything. So it assumes you will begin at least at Lankmar and the environs from that. And then as we, we hope to grow the world through various adventures and stuff, you know, so like uh, we may have a book which comes out and deals with, you know, uh, adventure down in Quarmall, which might be a mega dungeon political social intrigue book, you know, or adventure and stuff like that. So that gives rules for playing, you know, people from Quarmall or for, you know, the, for the, the jungles of Clash, you know, down there. Or, you know, eventually there's, I, I still want to write the definitive Definitive uh, book on uh, on Ulhrust, the city of Ulhrust, where the Mad Duke was, because I think Ulhrust is the greatest name in fantasy literature. I just love the way that rolled. Where are you from? I'm from Ulhrust. <laughs> so I want to write the definitive source book on Ulhrust, just so I can talk about it more. All right, we'll, see, we'll make that a stretch goal. Can I say one more thing? Yeah, you go on. Ulhrust. <laughs> so it's definitely going to be a box set, definitely going to have some maps involved, definitely a lot of books, and then maybe more, depending on where it goes. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, and, oh, and uh, if you want to, if you want a head start of it, we, uh, you guys can go uh, stop by the booth and pick up Rat Snake, which is our, our gambling game. Um, so, but you know, if you ten percent of all winnings, come back to me. Yes. <laughs> now, this is act, this is actually really cool. We we did three uh, previews of the Lake Mars stuff that were published mostly last year. But as Mike was rereading everything, there's a game. This is like a game within a game. There's a game that. that Tell the story. There's in one of the in there's one of the one of the adventures. There is there is a there's a time where they're gathering around the silver eel and and it's said that, that Mouser is throwing his dice, you know, and they they come up, you know, eel and snake on top, and he's raking in, you know, his triangular Lightmark coins. And Joe had originally said that he, you know, he he found a, a company who could do kind of customized pips on on dice and stuff. And so we were talking, oh, like, well, we could do that. We could put like in like a, like we come we'll put symbols on both sides and come up with a game that works around it and everything. So uh, we met. So we have now dice. We have a snake on one side and a rat on the other. So you know, you roll the dice and you come up with two rats. It's like, ah, oh, I've lost all my gold. And you come up with two snakes. It's like you get a thing. And so you know, and so there's a kind of an element of craft to it. You're trying to you know vest your roll, and but everybody else who's watching can make side bets to what's going on. And uh, we had uh, we we had we had people play chessing, and literally the DCC Lankmar they were playing just stopped for a while, and for two hours. They did nothing but just sit in the game and play an actual play of the game and everything. So, uh, and uh, those were uh, <laughs> Jen and Bob Brickman helped do that. Bob is from Vegas, so he helped me straighten out all the odds and everything. <laughs> My odds were a little off. He got them correct, so the house still always wins. So. <laughs> well, we have the custom dice set in the booth. It's kind of a one-off, just a special outgrowth of the Legmar project, but we have the custom Legmar dice set for playing this game. And, and But in the, the program, Brad, there's actually a new magical item, which is tied back to Legmar, which actually uses the special dice. You can use regular dice, but it's really cool when you use the special dice too yeah. as well. So. And one other thing to mention, as long as we're on this subject, yeah. uh, some of you have read Fritz Library, some of you haven't. From my own personal experience, if you read the stories in the wrong order, it's just not as exciting. Um, and you had mentioned that when you first picked one up, you picked one up and it didn't I, I picked, up, I picked the last compilation, which is generally like the worst. So yeah, the and later on you found the... Yeah, it's, it has nothing to do with like his early stuff. I mean, you know, we, we all kind of lose a step as we get older, and this is kind of his later, later work. Um, but uh, but yeah, so the first time I read through it, I read them through them chronologically, the order they were actually published. And kind of like our, uh, Robert E. Howard, there was no you know, there was no set chronology. He's like, I got a great idea for a story. Let's put it, you know, let's set it in. And it wasn't until later that they actually put them. They tried to try to establish a chronological order, which had library writing kind of filler stories, which might even be just like a little short story, like how we get from this story to the one that you know is after that. So. Um, and a lot of a lot of people have difficulty with it because the first two stories are kind of the origin stories of Fafford and, and the Grey Mouser, and they work best when they're actually together. And so these are you know these are both kind of take place in a vacuum. And a lot of people have trouble with that. I've discovered. Um, I had I had no problem when I, when I first read them myself, but I hear a lot of people say that yeah the first book is kind of hard going. But um, this is in, in the program guide this year. There's a list of all the stories mm -hmm. as they were originally published. Which I think is probably the best way to read it. Yeah, if you I want mean, to get into it. Yeah. If, yeah. I, if I mean, even if you have read them in the past, I would suggest go back and try and read them chronologically and see what you pick up out of it. Because it's interesting watching the world evolve as Liber was describing it himself. Because <laughs> one of the hard things about adapting Liber to a role-playing thing is that there's no, there's no, like there's no secret knowledge. I mean, everything you have is, is on is on the page. And Liber was Liber was telling stories. He was not trying to design a role-playing game. <laughs> Big gaps that had to be filled, or, or you know, otherwise obfuscated. So, uh, but uh, but yeah, definitely uh, we have we have the list. So if you need a summer project, there you go. Cool. You know, don't spend two and a half years of your life doing it. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Mike. You're welcome.
And so you guys probably know, DCC is inspired in large part by the works on Appendix N, which is a lot of classic fantasy fiction. Fritz Library was a big influence, I mean, it's obviously on Appendix N, but a big influence on D&D as well. But there's a lot of other authors on Appendix N, and a lot of these other authors, frankly, have done amazing work that influenced D&D and DCC in, in various important ways. So the other exciting thing we're working on is another license to further expand the DCC role with another license from the Appendix N uh, canon. So I'm really excited to announce that we've worked with the estate of Jack Vance to license the work of Jack Vance for DCC. So some of you have played at GaryCon and other conventions in what Joe Bittman has called his super secret playtest. Where here's playtesting the mechanics for the Vance campaign um, using crazy <laughs> coverage to obscure what you were really testing. So, so tell us how you're going to adapt the works of Jack Vance to DCC. Sure, yeah, a lot of people thought maybe it was like uh, Frank Baum or something that I was, I was, we were going to do Oz maybe, even though it's not Appendix N, but I had a Munchkin class in the, in the playtest. But that was just to cover, uh, and a lot of the other stuff that I had named things was just to cover up because if someone Googled like Wefkin, the first thing that's going to come up is, uh, is a Jack Vance. So, um, yeah, uh, i am uh, got a pretty good start on where the rules are going to be. Um, the, Playtesting it for five or six months now. Um, and, uh, I'm going to take a little bit, you know, as some of you might know, uh, another publisher did an earlier version of it, and it, uh, that one he was really close to just trying to recreate uh, like a fictional, uh, like recreating kind of stories that are based around just the characters that you see in the game. Um, so you can just make stories of like a Rialto type character or, or of, a, of a cudgel type character. Um, so for our take with DCC, we're going to try to go ahead and um, extrapolate you know, more of the, the type of character classes that you don't see uh, portrayed in the stories directly. But there's a lot of hints that are they're talked about. Um, so um, I've you know, read the, the, all the books. I guess I'm on my fourth reading now too. Um, I'm taking copious notes and trying to figure out how to uh, bring this over and uh, make a system that's totally compatible with DCC. It's not going to be the same as DCC, but uh, there'll be instructions of how you can port spells and classes back and forth and stuff like that. Now we were talking last night at one of the other seminars about, you know, when Gygax and Artisan created D&D, they pulled from a lot of sources, and once you read a lot of Appendix and you realize some of but what I consider to be a sort of important D&D concept, so, you know, they're lifted verbatim from various authors. It's so, like Vance had um, was it polychromatic spray, prismatic spray. Yeah, or, excellent prismatic spray. Yes, the Gygax listed almost verbatim. What are some of the other things that Gygax kind of took out of Vance and put into D&D? Uh, sure, well, there's, you know, excellent prismatic spray became color spray, but if, you know, if you read what excellent prismatic spray actually is, it's kind of more like a, like a, magic missile spell really it's like these colors like tear through people's bodies and stuff um, uh, it's just the whole concept of fancy magic um, has been done over and over you know in D&D &D, uh, you know, a spell was cast um, you know disappeared from your mind and you couldn't cast it again for another day until you had time to memorize it you know Joe did his own kind of take I think is what you were shooting for with the DCC spell system where um, you know, if you roll low, then you lose it for the day. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm working on my own take on it. I'm uh, queuing close to the, the what's actually written in the stories. Um, 
So in the stories we see, you know, like uh, Cudgel quickly, you know, reading from a book and um, getting the spell into his, his brain and casting it somewhere at, or uh, uh, spells that misfire, um, or, uh, you know, different uh, magicians uh, talking about the greatest among the magicians that you know, they, they can only know like seven spells, like some of the greatest among them. So um, I'm kind of uh, gathering all this stuff together and trying to uh, do another interpretation of fancy and magic that hopefully is very close or closer to the literature than what I've seen before. And there's things like like the I don't know if you said ion, ion, you know, ion stones. Oh right, that, yeah. they're literally lifted directly from Dan's perk. Right, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and uh, so D and D did their own take on ion stones. If you if you read the the books like really carefully, they don't. Uh, Vance doesn't really even say what they do. Like, magicians really want them, and they're w willing to travel across the cosmos to get them. But there, it's never really explained like why people even want them. So, um, again, there, I'm just trying to uh, read very closely, try to figure out what uh, what Vance thought they did. I guess. And I've seen your notes. He has an insane. I mean, both these guys have an insane amount of notes. They've read and reread and reread all the works. You're definitely you and close to the um, close to the source material. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you wrote a great adventure called the 998th Conclave of Wizards, which reads like something out of Jack Vance. Right, and there's a reason for that. Uh, Joe emailed a bunch of the writers in the middle of the night one time, and he was like, "Just a single line. Who's your favorite appendix and author?" I was like, oh, this is some kind of trick question. Okay. <laughs> I thought about it for, you know, 10 minutes. I better pick the right one. So I was like, okay, Vance. I want Vance. I didn't want to wait too long because I've been, someone else is going to pick them and I'm not going to get them. Um, and uh, I didn't even think of, like, the word counts of the authors before I picked Vance. <laughs> Luckily, you know, my three readings compared to him would be, like, 12 readings of Vance to get up to get that. Who's your favorite one? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the 990th Conclave of Wizard, uh, Joe gave me some kind of rough ideas. He said he wanted to be dancing. Um, so uh, 990th Conclave of Wizards is uh, 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 based on the Morayon stories, Rialto the Marvelous. Um, hopefully people uh, saw some of those similarities. And basically there's like the Peregrine Palace that travels through space. And uh, in my module there, I just expanded into an entire city. So there's the uh, space uh, city of Sizz that travels around the cosmos, and there's this whole conclave of wizards, plus alien civilizations coming and going, and demonic influences, and stuff like that. So. That's cool. So if you want a taste of what Joe can do with Vance-inspired stuff, check out that module. And then as we keep working on the official adaptation of Vance, we keep getting the loop, then we'll, we'll see how it goes. It'll be awesome. Probably come out a year or two, once, yeah. you, uh, once you read another four or five <laughs> <laughs> So guys, we actually... That's most of the things I wanted to talk about today. Um, hopefully this answers some questions for you on what we're working on. I was gonna, leave, we got a little bit of time left if anybody wants to ask any questions before we close out. Rick, it sounds like you have a question. Uh, I might have missed it, but uh, is there a working title for uh, the Vance RPG? Uh, no? DCC Vance? I don't know, we should probably come up with something. Vance Taffic. Fantastic. Fantastic. Excellent. Advanced. Let the additional wars begin. 
is it uh, is the is it dying earth or is it pants? Is it, it, it it's actually dying earth. It, the license only covers the dying earth stories. Good okay. I've got yeah. this. The dying earth. Uh, uh, Dina, did I see a question for yes. you? Yes, uh, a couple of years ago now, I think you announced the uh, Adventurer's Almanac. Who <laughs> uh, wrote that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's not with us anymore. Oh wait, <laughs> <laughs> he died. Bitter and broke. <laughs> no, that I'm still working on it. <laughs> no, I just haven't had the right opportunity to release it yet. It's all written. It's edited. There's cover art done. Actually, a couple of interior pieces. Um, I guess I just keep getting distracted. Why do you think uh, we should release that soon? Yeah, I thought it sounded interesting. I, oh. I stopped asking about it. Okay. <laughs> thank you. So thank you. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> just got my back. <laughs> cool. Any other questions? Not having read a, a ton of library, uh, <coughs> different publishers will do different things with it, and sometimes mess it up. Is there a publisher you recommend? Um, I well, the I say I. I read the great, uh, the great press ones, but those are long out of print and everything. The last ones, which I think, which were most recent, um, uh, uh, Dark Horse, Dark Horse put them out, and I think they're still pretty much readily, readily available. They're so, in their softback, and they're they're a reproduction of uh, the way that they were published by the Greg Publishing House. A white white uh, White Wolf when they had any print, they put them out, but they compiled them into I think three or four separate volumes, and there's like actually seven, eight. So there's actually seven or eight. So um, yeah, so look for the dark uh, dark horse. Um, the, the, you can pick them up pretty cheap. Thank you. You're welcome. Anything else? The time frame for the Lombard Kickstarter. The I think probably by the end of the year. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's basically an editing now, and once it's in pretty solid shape, we'll launch it. Cool. Cool. Anything else? Yes, Andy. Uh, with DCC Lankbar, you're kind of hinting at little uh, rules that are going to be in the box set in the pre-release modules. I read some about venison, dooms, and fleeting luck. Well, well uh, the, we had a, we had a sneak preview at the, the new rules tweaks when uh, with the free RPG uh, uh, pre-gens. Yep. Uh, there was a document in there which which I guess a lot of people missed, uh, but I think that's still live on the site, so you can download that. You can go pick up the free RPG day module at the booth if you didn't get it at your local RPG store, downloaded the link, and you can start playing Madhouse Meat right away. <coughs> an idea of what the changes are going to be. The question is beyond that PDF. Are there any other? Be, uh, beyond, we talked about uh, we talked about uh, possibly uh, once the Kickstarter goes live, maybe uh, um, we haven't worked out the details of it, but we might uh, be, uh, make the optional rules directly available uh, once you once you uh, uh, once you pledge, uh, so you can get an idea of where we're going and stuff, and you know. Time to change your players, I guess. Guess <laughs> 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 <Yes>, this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, so, um, so, yeah. Um, we just uh, we just, we just play tested the uh, uh, the introductory module we'll have in the um, in the box set uh, today, and uh, it went absolutely fantastic. I've never seen more ones rolled in 30 years. Of <laughs> we had over a course of three and a half hours. We had 11 natural ones, which was appropriate. So. <laughs> So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that's the mechanic that erases the fleeting luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, why was very interesting. No. Um. Yes. Uh, for DCC Vance. How are you? Are you going to be doing a lot of world building, like for PCC Langmar? Because I know that in the writing, a lot of the places mentioned are very sort of 
never actually described it, like the land of the falling wall. Are you going to actually be going into depth on some of these locations? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's going to be a whole section with uh, with write-ups on that stuff um, that you know obeys whatever is the actual canon, and then we'll extend it from there. Um, Are you going to include anything to translate Vance's uh, actual dialogue into something that uh, more people can understand? Yeah, we'll be shipping it with a dictionary. <laughs> when I, I don't know about your experience. When I read him, I write down words. In the, when I read a book, I write down the words I don't know in the front, then I look them up, and it's how I expand my vocabulary. I must have like two and a half pages of words from reading Vance. It's insane. I spell stretchable. But to your point, yeah, there's uh, I've got some ideas for some stuff I want to do to uh, help game masters fancyize their uh, their game tone, I guess. Three word spell titles with an adjective as a first Another question in the back. Yeah, in um, you can crawl classics in the in the book, is there a uh, is there a default setting? Is it is it Earth? Is it air in thousands of years in the future? That's an excellent, excellent question. Um, there is I, I intentionally tried to mimic what Joseph did with Dungeon Crawl Classics, where if you read the Dungeon Crawl Classics books, there's a backbone and a structure to a sort of vague setting. I mean it has its it, it has its setting um, conditions and rules. Magic is rare. The economy is very low scale. Um, tenth level, you're Elric and you're a demigod. So I mimic that in Dungeon Crawl Classics to where it's an ambiguous post-apocalyptic future. It's a far future society that fell. So there's not, uh, you, you don't go out and dig up uh, M30 tanks and AK-47s. You know, it's Mazer rifles and uh, fancy and super science. That said, it's written in a very neutral, skeletal way, so that if you uh, run the game and you want to run the, you want to run it as Ralph Bakshi's Wizards movie, or you want to run it as Thundar the Barbarian, or you want to Road Warrior it up uh, yourself, and maybe even pull it back, you can do those things. We have time for one last question, Tim. What you got? Yes, I was going to ask about so with all the new properties coming out. How do you um, foresee like the Zine community kind of? It's still going to be like pretty cool with the open license type thing? Or? Yeah, the one I get the most about is MCC. The plan is to publish MCC first. You guys have the sort of baseline to work from. Once that's out, with Jim's permission, I'd like to open it up. The approval process that currently is just me, I think, often involved Jim too, to make sure that we're not going in crazy directions or things like that. Um, but yeah, so give, give it a year. Let us get it out so you guys see this is what the baseline is going to be. Here's what's covered, here's what's not, here's the space you have, you know, here's the stuff we already covered. Um, and then the idea is to open it up. The officially licensed stuff is much more difficult because I have to go to the estate of Fritz Leiber, for example, and review everything with them. So I don't think it's even logistically or legally possible to open that up. But for things like MCC, yes. Xcrawl theoretically down the road, yes. Um, yeah, it's all possible. It just takes some time and working out some things. Yeah, the third party community has done an amazing job of just producing cool ideas that, that sort of build upon the community and the, and the game and so on. And I'd love to keep that going as much as possible. I will just say, Brendan and I were discussing this in the car right out here on, uh, on, on Tuesday, and I'm, everybody, I'm sure everybody here feels the same way. But we we are 
because we are just so excited about, and we're so thankful for <coughs> the fan base that, that Joe has managed to develop through his game. You are so, not only some of the most nicest people that we've had the pleasure to spend time with, but you are some of the most creative people as well. And there are many times when you make us all sweat because you guys are coming up with some creative stuff on your own and you make us work that much harder to kind of keep, 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 uh, keep pace with what you guys are putting out there as third party and as fans and we are absolutely amazed by what you do on a constant basis and keep it up, alright? So. Cool. On that, thanks everybody for coming. Now let's go game. Thank you.